left South Africa and came to America and, and was still in jet lag when I came back over here. And I spoke 29 times in two weeks. I don't know how many times you spoke, Michael. And the last day I was there, I lost my voice. And they had to give me cortisone shots just to get me through the day. And I haven't got it back. And I've kind of dreaded today because I've got to speak again tonight and then twice tomorrow. But so far, I'm all right. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> okay, open your Bibles, please, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll start at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now let's come down to chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind who hears this word, that their perception of what is said will be received as you intend. Upon my tongue that I'll be cleansed, that I might be your instrument, saying everything that needs to be said and nothing that doesn't need to be said, that this may make a difference in our lives and for some, perhaps never to be the same again. And may this bring you great honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I've chosen to deal with the subject of wisdom on this second talk today. Uh, James, right at the beginning uh, of his epistle, brings up this subject, wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. I would regard wisdom as the ultimate anointing of the Spirit. It's as good as it gets. And it's the one thing you can be sure you pray for and you'll be in the will of God. Because he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Uh, I always want to pray in the will of God if I can know it. Because that's the only prayer God is going to answer. <laughs> if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And when he hears us, it means it's the Hebraic concept, shamar, hero, Israel. The word shamar, as Michael will verify, means to obey. It means also means to hear. And translators have to decide which it is when they come to the context. But when the Lord hears us, it means he will obey our request. And the only time he does it is when we ask in his will. And so the most foolish thing you can do is, is try to twist his arm to get him to pray, get him to hear your prayer when you want something other than his will. Well, how do you know you're praying in the will of God? Well, uh, you can pray the Lord's Prayer, which I do, by the way, every day. I've got a book on it. don't know if it's for sale or here. Yeah, I think I did see it. But he, you can always pray the Lord's Prayer and know that's one time you're praying in God's will because Jesus said, when you pray, it's what you say. Uh, if you pray in the Spirit, uh, you're praying in God's will because the Holy Spirit intercedes with groanings that cannot be uttered. And, and if you apply that to praying in tongues, and I think you can do, 
uh, you don't know what you're saying, but at least you know you're praying in the will of God, and, and that's good enough. But another time you can be sure you're praying in the will of God is when you ask for wisdom, because James said to do it. Well, now, why did James bring up this subject right near the beginning of his epistle? And the answer is, he knew it was the only way these Jews could survive. This they needed more than anything in the world. Now, they may have argued with him and said, that's not our need. What our need is something else. But James knew their need. It reminds me of a phrase that Phineas Brzee used. And you probably won't know who that is. Phineas Brzee was the founder of the Church of the Nazarene. I was brought up uh, Nazarene. Uh, I can tell you something. Uh, some may know this. It's, it's not any great secret, but you probably don't know it. It is what endeared me to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The, the, the reason he chose me to succeed him at Westminster Chapel is because of my Nazarene background. That's it. Simply it. He had just read Phineas Brzee's biography some months before we met. And when he realized I was brought up Nazarene, it endeared him to me, me to him. He said to me again and again, don't forget your Nazarene background. He said, this is what has saved you. By which he meant, he was comparing me to, well, I'm away from Britain enough, I guess I can get away with this. All these reformed men that, uh, oh dear, what did Magnus Magnuson say? I've started, so I'll finish. Uh, he said, you know, I don't think I was supposed to say that. My goodness. Uh, uh, let's charge it to jet lag. But he, he said, the trouble with them, he says, they're, they're, they're cold, uh, his phrasing is perfectly orthodox, perfectly useless, and he, he wasn't happy with the coldness of, of Reformed men. And he says, what has saved you is your Nazarene background. Well, Phineas Brzee, in his last days, would go from church to church. This is a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, the Church of the Nazarene was the fastest growing church in America. They had no money people. They had no great intellects. But they had one thing, the glory. And Phineas Brzee's phrase was, keep the glory down. Keep the glory down. Because he knew that if that church lost that glory, they were finished. They had nothing else going for them. No prestige, no money, no great intellect, but they had the glory. We're talking about a conscious presence of God. People would come to their churches to laugh, and they would end up converted. They would come to scoff, and they got saved. And Brzee knew if they ever lost that, they were finished. Well, now that's essentially what James is saying here, that these Christian Jews who were lacking in prestige, they did not have vindication, there was no evidence that they had got it right, but he knew what they needed was this wisdom, this wisdom. In fact, uh, they would have told you, we just need some prestigious people, people with gold rings, people driving Bentleys, Rolls Royces, that's what we need, people that shop at Harrods, Fortnum and Masons, that's, that's what we need. And that will cause other Jews to say, wow, maybe there's something to what you all believe after all. James says, that is not what you need. You need this wisdom. And uh, this is because what James meant by it entails much what the Apostle Paul meant by agape love. In fact, the way James uses wisdom is almost something could be used interchangeably with the way Paul uh, referred to love. Now, the goal of James for these Jewish believers was that they might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What he meant by that is that they would come into an internal grace where God would be so real to them 
that they had no need for external evidence that they'd got it right. That they were so satisfied in themselves because of the presence of God. Let me ask you a question. What if you were the only person in St. Albans to believe this gospel? Suppose you're the only person in Britain. Suppose every person around you that has been going to church with you, one day you wake up and they've decided to give the Christian faith up. They no longer believe it. They've succumbed to every, every secular spirit. And you now hear that all of your friends have deserted the faith. And you're the only one. Question, what would it do to you? What would it do to you if everybody you know gave it up? What if you heard that I gave it up? Michael Eaton gave it up. The Pattons gave it up. Aunt gives it up. Nick gives it up. What would it do to you? What James wanted for them is that they could in themselves so be convinced that if they alone believed it, it would be okay. You might be discouraged that you're the only one, but you know what you believe. And that is what he wants for them. And the way toward this is this wisdom. Well, he says that you might be perfect and entire, perfect and complete, wanting nothing. David the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So satisfied are you with your internal inheritance. God has sworn an oath to you. God is so real that if nobody else believes it, you would still believe it. Now, the Greek word is sophia. It denotes a quality and not an activity. Uh, it implies unusual knowledge and ability. All right, what is this wisdom? Dr. Michael Eaton, I think, once said, at least, I don't know if that would be his final definition, it's the ability to get things done. And I, I know what he means by that. Uh, it's the ability uh, that makes it less likely for you to make the unguarded comment. Uh, for example, in James 3, you have this discourse on not controlling the tongue and how one unguarded comment can cause a forest fire. Now, it's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it wisdom that enables you not to make the unguarded comment, or is it controlling the tongue that will bring about the wisdom? Hard to say. But what we know is, we're talking about an unusual ability if this wisdom is yours. Uh, in the Hellenistic literature, it was the possession of the gods alone, out of reach from normal people. Uh, it is knowing the next step forward regarding duty. It's the ability to see in advance what you will wish you did. Uh, you've heard the expression, everybody has 20-20 hindsight vision. Uh, this wisdom is 20-20 foresight vision. But I would define wisdom as the presence of the mind of the Spirit. Now, you've heard the expression presence of mind. Uh, Non-Christians sometimes experience that. Uh, it's a phenomenon in the world where a person in a, an extreme emergency is just given a certain presence of mind. And it's, it's owing to common grace, not a sign that you're saved. But this does happen. But this wisdom is special grace. It's the presence of the mind of the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is God, he's omniscient, he knows everything, if you have his mind, you will say the right thing, not the wrong thing. You will get it right, and you will not make the unguarded comment. And so it does flow from tongue control, and it also precipitates tongue control. And there's so much in James about it. He says in 
verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so it all comes to this. And then he talks about two kinds of wisdom. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Now, there are other Greek words that some might have said James should have used. Uh, there would be those who may say, James, it's not Sophia we need. We need Philosophia. Uh, that uh, refers to rhetoric, the ability dis to dispute. Uh, and uh, that can come from common grace. And I used that phrase a while ago. What is common grace? Uh, Calvin referred to special grace in nature. Not referring to saving grace. Common grace is God's goodness to everybody. Whether or not you're converted. Uh, your IQ your temperament, your ability to do what you do, a particular talent, uh, rhetorical skills. Uh, somebody may say, well, the reason I can play the violin is because I'm a Christian. Probably not. You could probably play the violin if you weren't a Christian, if you can play it at all, because it comes from common grace. Uh, your intelligence. Uh, Albert Einstein, we're told, had an IQ of 212. 100 is average. 110 means you're bright. 130 genius. 212. It's off the charts. Uh, no sign that he was a Christian. And uh, he gave the world uh, many wonderful things. Uh, the ability to compose a, a symphony, a Beethoven, a Rachmaninoff, common grace, uh, a gift of God. The fact that we have firemen, policemen, nurses, hospitals, traffic lights, uh, the thing that keeps the world from being topsy-turvy, common grace. And so philosophia is part of that. Or there's the Greek word techna, from which we get the word technology. It refers to art, skill, craft. Well, there may have been those who said, the trouble with this church in Jerusalem, uh, we need to have more talented people. If we just had more artsy people with skill, or the ability to dispute. Uh, or uh, there's the Greek word friend, from which we get the word phrenology, referring to cleverness, intellect. Uh, this is surely what we would need. And there are those in the church today who think if we had more technical people or people ability to dispute or higher IQs, uh, that is what the church needs. Wrong, says James. Our word is Sophia. It is critical knowledge about oneself. Uh, it was wisdom knowing that you didn't have wisdom. This is the first step. When you know you don't have it, that's the first step toward this Sophia. It's used in Proverbs, the Hebrew equivalent. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, uh, it's very interesting how Paul would say, the Greeks seek after wisdom, uh, Jews uh, seek after a sign. But now, here is James speaking out of the ancient Hebrew tradition. He's saying what you need is not signs. You need this wisdom. It's put like this in uh, Proverbs 4. He says, get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her, she will keep you. Love her, she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get it, whatever you get, get insight, prize her highly, she will exalt you, she will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Now, we're not talking then about skill, intellect, or the ability to dispute. Sophia had the a character of direct revelation. And it was the highest kind of knowledge. It was self-knowledge, the most desired kind of understanding. Now, Jesus, we're told, improved in this wisdom. Uh, and there's a very interesting verse in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verse 2, where you would have thought, after Jesus was casting out devils and performing miracles, you would have thought the question would be, where did he get this power? That's not what they asked. They said, where did he get this wisdom? 
Because this wisdom, if you went only by that verse, you would say that wisdom is the mother of dunamis, that the power flows from this wisdom, this supernatural something, that if that were to come, this was the need of the hour. Did you know it is possible to be spirit-filled and not have this wisdom? The proof of that is in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, when they were looking for the original seven deacons. They said, find you people that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. That proves that you can be full of the Holy Spirit and not have it, because these deacons had to have something in addition to being spirit-filled. And we're told that Stephen, one of the seven, spoke with such wisdom that they were not able to resist the power and wisdom by which he spoke. Well, when do you pray for this wisdom? Well, you can pray for it when you're aware of the lack of it. And that's a good beginning, when you know you need it. And so, says James, if you lack it, ask for it. You pray for it when a sudden or approaching decision is called for, and you don't know what you're going to be able to say. And you say, Lord, I need to have it by next Thursday. I'm going to be facing a situation. Or when there is a need for discernment, uh, just ask God for wisdom. He's not going to laugh at you. He's not going to say to you, well, you know, well, I guess you would want that. You don't expect me to give you that, do you? No, says James, he's not going to laugh at you. He's not going to scold you. He's not going to shame you. In fact, he says, it is given without reproach. He gives generously. Now, it's interesting that there is a gift of wisdom and it heads the list in 1 Corinthians 12. When you have all the gifts, not all of them, but you have nine gifts of the Spirit listed. There's more than nine because he's gives more at the end of chapter 12, and he mentions uh, chapter 10, and he mentions more in uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, so it's, don't say that there are only nine gifts of the Spirit, but of those nine listed in 1 Corinthians 12, wisdom is the top of the list. I have sometimes thought I'd write a book called The Gift Nobody Wants, because it seems to me that in people's desire for various gifts of the Spirit, the very first one listed is the last one that they think they need. They say, I want that healing gift. Or I want the miracles. I want prophecy. At the top of the list is this gift of wisdom. And that surely is why it is put first. Well, Solomon asked for it. And God was so pleased with Solomon's request in fact, when he finished, God said to Solomon, You know, Solomon, I'm glad you asked for that. You could have asked for a long life, but you didn't. You could have asked for fame. You could have asked for riches. And God was so pleased with his request for wisdom that God says, Because you didn't ask for these other things, but asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you the things you didn't ask for. And I'm going to give you this wisdom. It goes back to Matthew 6.33, my dad's favorite verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if you want to touch the heart of God and know that you're asking for something that he wants you to have, uh, it is the most desired possession there is. And Jesus actually said that you'll be given this in a time when you have to face a very troubled situation. As a matter of fact, he said, if you stand before kings uh, and you don't know what to say for, take no thought. Uh, since uh, our retirement, uh, I was given an unusual relationship with the late Yasser Arafat. Um, Never will forget it. Canon Andrew White, who was the Archbishop's Canterbury, uh, Archbishop's, uh, Archbishop Canterbury's envoy to the Middle East, Andrew White, used to ask me to go to Israel with him. 
but uh, I never managed to do it. But he found out I was in Israel, and uh, the bottom line is, he phoned me on a Tuesday evening and said, Yasser Arafat will see you tomorrow in Ramallah at 6 o'clock. And I thought, good land. The truth is, I'd started praying for Arafat 20 years before every day. Never thought I'd meet him. Uh, I called Louise. I said, I'm seeing Yasser Arafat tomorrow. I was allowed to take two people in, Lyndon Bowring and uh, Alan Bell. And I didn't know what on earth I would say. So I'm sitting at the table. Here's Arafat. Here's me. Here's Alan with his hand on my shoulder, praying for me the whole time. Lyndon with his hand on Alan's shoulder. And do you know, I was given an anointing in that room like I've never had in my life. I was as comfortable as sitting in my living room with my slippers on. I had more authority. And all I did was to talk to him about Jesus Christ and why Jesus died on the cross. He said, oh, we believe that Jesus ascended to heaven. I said, not good enough, Ra'is. He died first, rose from the dead, then ascended to heaven. Because Islamic teaching is that Jesus never died on the cross, that Allah delivered him from the cross. So I said at least five times in what should have been a 15-minute visit, went to an hour and 45 minutes. And all I did is talk about Jesus. What I'm saying is, I was given words to say. They just rolled out. And uh, across the table was Dr. Saab Arakat, who's the chief negotiator for the Palestinians with the Israelis. He said, we believe Jesus was a prophet. Not good enough, Saab. He was the Son of God. They could have thrown me out. Or I could have, my life could have been in danger. But I was given words. They were beyond me. Incidentally, I'll see Rabbi Rosen Wednesday, and next Friday I'll see Saab Arakat again. We've managed to, to maintain a friendship. The point is, Jesus said, when you stand before people, for kings, and you don't know what to say. This is the wonderful thing. When you are helpless, God just steps in. It's like Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When you stand before someone, you don't know what to say. Take no thought. Watch what God does. Well, now, curiously, it is not listed among the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, and so forth. And yet, we're talking about an ability to have a control so that you don't make the unguarded comment. Well, now, this is the promise. And the promise is, you are welcomed and you will not be rebuked. The King James says, upbraideth not, uh, without finding faults, is the NIV. And you will not be embarrassed or put down. Now, this point, that wisdom is the presence of the mind of the Spirit, when you have his mind, you know you're getting it exactly right, and the Holy Spirit always knows what to do now. And the lovely thing is, no upbraiding, no moralizing. God doesn't talk back to you and say, well, fancy you would ask for that at long last, or you would ask for something like that. He will just give you his mind and tell you what to do now. Uh, we have a GPS. What's the British word for it? What do you call it? One at a time. Helen, what is it? Sasnav. Satnav. Yeah. Okay, we call it GPS. I'm not sure what that stands for. You, you just write in where you want to go. And the voice says, drive 100 yards, turn right, go one mile, turn left. And uh, I don't know how I ever managed without them. I use it everywhere I go. But it hit me one day. I remember how I went down the road and it says turn right and I didn't. 
So I expect the voice to come on and say, you stupid twit, I told you to turn right. <laughs> but it simply says, recalculating. And it tells you what to do now. And that's the wonderful thing about this wisdom. When you mess up, he doesn't moralize and says, well, I told you what you should have done. He just says, recalculating. And you know from this point the right thing to do. Well, says Paul, there are two kinds of wisdom. And you can tell the difference between the two. He says there is wisdom that flows from below, and there is the wisdom that comes from above. What's the difference? He says, if anyone shows bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but comes from below. And he says uh, three things about it. First of all, he said it is earthly. What that means is it comes naturally. You don't need a supernatural explanation for that. You just spout off your opinion. I'll just tell what I think. Uh, and, and you think that's wise. No, he said that's earthly. Uh, and he says uh, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, he said uh, there will be disorder in every vile practice. He said it is unspiritual. Uh, uh, and the truth is, when there is selfish ambition governing you, uh, you say, I feel so strongly about this. And it seems natural. It seems so natural. But when you are in touch with true wisdom, you realize all of that that which you had was from below. There is a natural explanation for it. In fact, he says it's earthly. That means no spiritual grace needed for this. He says it's unspiritual. Uh, King James Version, sensual. Uh, in fact, he, Paul uses that word to describe the unregenerate. Well, surely not can a saved person act as though he's not been saved? According to this, yes. In fact, James goes further than that. He said it is unspiritual and demonic. Demonic, surely not. Yes, because when the devil gets in to a Christian for a moment, all hell breaks loose. How many here would be happy for a video replay to be shown of your life and your words at your worst moment since you were saved? Would you be happy for the whole world to see that? You see, we've always been aware of what's in us. Spurgeon said there's enough of good in the regenerate to make the angels rejoice, but enough evil in the holiest man would split hell wide open. And we all need to know this about ourselves. Never think you are arrived. You have arrived and you are incapable of manifesting the worst kind of spirit. And James says that you can actually manifest the demonic. There's an interesting verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It's not in my book, Total Forgiveness. I just hadn't seen it. And I was reading it in a different translation, and I saw it for the first time. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, A further reason for forgiveness is to keep from being outsmarted by the devil. Here's what that means. If you hold a grudge, if you refuse totally to forgive them, if you refuse to let them off the hook, but choice, you choose instead to point the finger, keeping a record of wrongs, rubbing their noses in it, you make that choice. Says Paul, in that very moment, 
you beckon Satan to walk right in. And this is why I say James' use of wisdom can be used reciprocally with the way Paul uses love in 1 Corinthians 13. Because when there is this envy and ambition and pointing of the finger and finding fault, you open the door for the devil to come in and one spark will cause a forest fire. And the only way forward is to live knowing what is the wisdom that comes from above. And so he tells us, the wisdom from above is first pure. I've been thinking about that for a long time. I'm still trying to grasp it. The wisdom from above, that's this immediate and direct witness of the Spirit. It's pure. That means it's unfiltered, unmediated, hasn't come through another person. Doesn't mean you shouldn't take advice because in a multitude of counsel there is safety. But the wisdom that comes from above, if you can get it, is pure and it is devoid of any bias. You see, what happens with so many of us when we read the Bible, we've decided what we want to believe and we look for scriptures to prove our point. That's not pure. You see, you're wanting to use the scripture and it's a perverse use of the Bible just to bolster your view and all you can see is what you want to see. And when you start looking for something you want to find, you'll find it, you'll find it. But to get the wisdom that comes from above is first of all, pure, unfiltered, unmediated. It's not coming through anybody. You're just getting God's own opinion. Pure. But there's another reason he uses the word pure. And I referred to Proverbs a while ago. When's the last time you read the book of Proverbs? The first seven chapters refer again and again and again, to sexual promiscuity. The wisdom that comes from above will be sexually pure. This is a relevant word for any pastor who in the vestry is counseling somebody and when things aren't perfect at home and he sees this lady there and things aren't perfect with her. And they began to notice each other more than they should. And before you know it, they're both feeling that God has brought them together. And that in their case, it's okay to give in to sexual temptation. You see, that's the devil. That's the devil. And says, James, this wisdom is pure. It refers to sexual purity as well. I'll tell you another thing. If you're wanting this wisdom to come from above and you're living a double life, don't even think you're going to get this. This wisdom goes right against any kind of secret living where there's a double standard and I had no intention of saying this and have certainly no reason to believe anybody here needs it, but I'll say it. If there's anyone here at the moment, you're in an affair or you're on the brink of having one. Listen to me. Stop it! Now! Break it off! It's only a matter of time you'd give a thousand worlds to turn the clock back to this moment. Because if you want this wisdom that is to be prized above all other gifts and anointings, it's the ultimate anointing. Your personal life has got to reflect the honor and glory of God. And God won't bend the rules for any of us. 
the wisdom that comes from above, pure. And so much of the wisdom of Proverbs is all about this. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And that means that if God gives you a gift, you get to keep it. But remember, a gift of the Spirit, a gift of the Spirit is yours to keep, but it's no sign of spirituality. King Saul, on his way to kill David, prophesied. So don't think because you have a gift of the Spirit, you're spiritual. And the wisdom James is talking about here is not a gift of the Spirit. He's talking about this immediate and direct presence of mind where you know what God wants you to do. And that will come not because you have gifts of the Spirit, but because you are showing by your life the wisdom that comes from above. First pure, then peaceable. You see, the wisdom that comes from above is peace-loving and does what makes for peace. Paul talks about the unity of the Spirit. What is that? Well, let me put it this way. The ungrieved spirit in me will recognize the ungrieved spirit in you. Now, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is a very sensitive person. He's a very sensitive person. Now, when we think of a person being hypersensitive, it's not a compliment. But like it or not, that's the way the Holy Spirit is. He's very sensitive. I've written a book called Sensitivity of the Spirit. I'm afraid it's out of print. And uh, I wish 200 people would write to my publisher and tell them to get it back in print, but that wouldn't be right. Uh, if God wants it to be back in print, it will. But I never will. When I first wrote that, I sent Michael Eaton the manuscript. I said, Michael, I want to know, has anybody written on this before? And if you want to know whether anything's been written before, send it to Michael Eaton. He's read everything since 100 A.D. till day before yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, and he wrote back and said, nothing's been written on it. Nothing. You see, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. It comes from a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. And what grieves the Holy Spirit chiefly is our anger, our bitterness. And the inability to forgive. You say, I, I can't forgive what they did. Well, then the Holy Spirit is going to stay grieved. The unity of the Spirit is when the Holy Spirit in me, ungrieved, recognize the Holy Spirit in you, ungrieved. So let's say Michael and I are having great fellowship because the Holy Spirit is ungrieved. We're speaking to our wives. We're holding no grudges, and it's a great fellowship. And uh, Aunt comes up, and same fellowship. Ernie Patton comes up, wonderful. There's four of us. Holy Spirit, having fellowship, that's unity of the Spirit. And then let's say a fifth person comes in, and he says, what, what are you all doing? And he starts saying, you know what's the matter with this church, don't you? And the other four of us go, oh, no. It was so sweet. One person can kill it. You see, unity of the Spirit with, with the whole congregation, we all come together, and we are operating with the wisdom that comes from above, where husbands and wives are speaking to each other, loving each other, instead of pointing the finger, instead of when there's rivalry and trying to make your point and vindicate your perspective. And all of that, that's from below. That's from below. You know the, the best thing that Michael and I could do for this church? Let me tell you what it is. The best thing we could do, God helping us, is to create a magnet. A magnet. See, most churches I want, they want a magnet that will pull the people in. No, I want a magnet that will bring the Spirit down. And then they're going to come from all over England to see what's going on here. But, but you see, this is not easy to achieve. 
because we're all so opinionated and we're so full of ourselves, want to get our own point of view over. The Holy Spirit won't bend the rules for any of us. But James says to this church, this is your need. This is your need. You don't need smart people. You don't need people that can show their ability in rhetoric or ability to dispute or who can play the guitar or the keyboard or have high IQs. Oh, no. This wisdom comes from above where there's no need to prove who's right. The greatest freedom is having nothing to prove. Consider it gentle. doesn't try to show up the other person. Submissive. The King James says, easy to be entreated. Means the person's not defensive. He's not abrasive. Uh, that there's something about us that people out there say, I could go to that person. He would listen to me. But there's so many afraid to come to us because as soon as they do, we're going to point the finger and moralize. And we just don't go to anybody. I can imagine that the leper heard the Sermon on the Mount. He kept his place because 2,000 years ago, lepers knew their place in society. So they stayed at a distance. A leper heard Jesus. And the whole time he listens to Jesus, he says, I could go to that man. And he was right. Because when the Sermon on the Mount is over, at the end of Matthew 7, all the people go to their homes. The leper hung around. And he went up to Jesus. and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. How did he know he could do that? He recognized in Jesus one that would accept him. And that's what God is wanting to see in all of us, that people could come to us. And we're not going to be rejected, we're not going to be laughed at. And that's the way God is. You ask for wisdom. He's not going to say, how dare you? I told you what to do. You didn't listen. He just says, recalculating. He tells you what to do now. You may have messed up a year ago. You may have messed up this morning. Good old 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He says, okay, here's what you do now. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. This is the wisdom that comes from above. There's no judgmentalism. No pointing of the finger. No keeping a record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? Well, we keep records to show that we've paid. And so the wife says to the husband, I will remember that. And two days later, she keeps her word, reminds him of what he did. You know what? This kind of preaching would heal any marriage by sundown today if both husband and wife would stop pointing the finger and tear up that record of wrongs. See, we're talking about the wisdom that comes from above. How much do you want it? Pure, considerate, full of mercy, impartial. See, godly wisdom transcends personal feeling. Sincere, nothing phony, nothing plastic, no hypocrisy, no trying to prove a theological opinion. This is one of the truth. James knew that these Hebrew believers, this was their need. This was their need. Phineas Brzee knew, the early Nazarenes, this is their need. Because you bring the glory down. You bring the presence of the mind of the Spirit down. It changes everything. And God can work in us. So, the condition, he says, is faith. But that's where I pick up tonight. And my time is gone. Heavenly Father, take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. 
I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy by faith. Were God to increase it with the immediate witness, may it come. May you receive the praise that comes from him alone. May it happen. But until then, whatever he lets happen, we say it's okay. We welcome it. No grumbling. ever again. May we pray. Heavenly Father, take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.